Grady, you know how in class, how you're always telling us that writers make choices? Yeah. And even though your book is really beautiful, I mean, amazingly beautiful, it's... It's at times, it's, uh... Very detailed. Uh... You know, with the genealogies of everyone's horses and, and the dental records and so on, and... And I could be wrong, but it just, it sort of reads in places like... You didn't really make any choices. At all. And I was just wondering if it might not be different if... If when you wrote, you weren't always... Under the influence. <clears throat> well. Well, uh, thank you for the thought. But shocking as it may sound, I am not the first writer to sip a little wheat. Furthermore, it might surprise you to know that one book I wrote, as you say, under the influence, just happened to win a little something called the Pen Award, which, by the way, I accepted under the influence. <laughs> stand out from the herd it's the cinema nine podcast with your host michael govier eric brandstrom and travis roy coming to a speaker near you right now Guess who it is? It's your three favorite cinemaphiles. Eric Branstrom, Travis, Roy, and Mike Govia here, back for more. Boy, it's so much fun to be here with you. Eric Branstrom, how you doing? I'm great now that I've got an email here from Mark Ruffalo, who listened to the podcast, and he says, fellas, you're way off base. I'm incredible. Where's my goddamn Oscar? Love, Mark. <laughs> Travis, did you get an email from Mark Ruffalo? Um, no, uh, me and Mark haven't talked in a while, but I, I, I hope he's doing well. Me too. Mark, we wish you all the best. Thanks for emailing the pod, and we're going to continue <laughs> to watch all your movies. Well, most of your movies. Oh. I, oh. In the cut. Yeah. <laughs> in the cut. That's how you ended last episode, too. It just, in the cut. And I uh, trailed it off. It was pretty funny. This is the Cinema 9 Podcast. Welcome. We talk about cinema, movies, uh, maybe some TV. Columbo gets in the mix on occasion. <laughs> you can find us on all the standard medias. Eric Branstrom, Travis Roy, and myself have been throwing out, I threw out only one, but you guys have been throwing out reviews on Instagram, and I think they've been quite interesting. Uh, quick movie reviews, uh, all kinds of genres. 
that's where you can find a lot of us and connect with us. Instagram, Cinema9Pod. That's the numerical nine. Hit us up on Instagram at Cinema9Pod. That seems to be the hot spot. Travis, uh, didn't you review a couple movies over the last week? Was there one that you... Uh, I did. I, yeah, I, I posted a uh, review on the film Crime Wave and one on the on the on the film Abattoir. Hmm. I have not yeah. seen any of those. I got to get on that. What about you, Eric? I'm getting ready to post a, a proper review of a film I saw from 2013, A Single Shot, starring the great Sam Rockwell hmm. uh, and William H Macy. Remember how I was uh, complaining a couple of years years ago? Like, where is this guy? Shameless is taking his entire career and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's MIA because of this, this show. He's great in it. So stay tuned for a proper review, a single shot starring Sam Rockwell. All right. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. That's where we can be most beneficial to you. Uh, we're also on Twitter, cinema nine pod, same numerical nine. And you can also send us an email. We have a couple emails that we're going to save for the end of the show from very dedicated listeners. And if you hear something you want to chime in on, yell at us about, commend us on, or tell us to go to hell. Whatever is on your mind, just hit us up at cinema9pod at protonmail.com. Gentlemen, as always, we like to check in on your mental health. How uh, are you doing, Travis? Has this quarantine finally had a tipping point? Are you going to go <laughs> off the reservation, or how are you feeling? I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, um, the, the class that I've been teaching has, is starting to wind down, so it's just going to be like grading papers for a few more days, and then it'll be over. And, uh, and then I guess I'll have even more time to watch movies because I, <laughs> other than that, I mean, it'll be like, you know, job hunt online. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Yay! So, yeah! Doing great. Oh, that's beautiful. Eric, how you doing, buddy? Aside from teaching online, I've been watching movies, uh, one of which was the 1994 film Nell. Oh, I love Nell. <laughs> I have never seen this before. So have you guys both seen Nell? No. <laughs> Mike? <laughs> I've definitely saw Nell more than once back in the 90s, but I haven't seen it in 20, 25 years. Okay, this movie's outrageous. Uh, Jodie Foster is like this, uh, like feral woman who lives in the woods, like in her own like imagination. She's all locked in with these deep emotional turmoil, which sounds like an interesting premise, but it's handled so horribly by uh, hack director Michael Apted that you end up laughing throughout <laughs> the entire film. Not really at Jodie Foster because she does her best with the material that she has, but Liam Neeson like tries to talk Nell. Like, it's, Nell's got her own language, and, like, Liam Neeson mm. is trying to, like, communicate with her to see if she can, like, come back into the society. So, yeah, like, her. you got fucking Liam Neeson, like, trying to speak in, like, this ridiculous, like, new language created by, like, this uh, clearly <laughs> mentally disturbed character. And it's downright embarrassing and funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our only, I got to be honest. I was uh, a horny teenager when this came out in 1994, I think. Oh, my God. And did you jerk off to Nell? Uh, I didn't jerk off to Nell. I'll admit that. that. But going she, with this? she lifts her top up, and you see her boobs. And back when I was 15 years old, I was like, "Oh my God, Jodie Foster's boobs!" And that's truly all I remember. So don't pigeonhole me now. I'm a 39 year old man. I've grown a lot, and uh, I don't like those things anymore. I'm above. You don't, you don't like boobs anymore? Yeah, I'm above that now. <laughs> so in the cut, Nell. <laughs> <laughs> 
going to keep going, this Mr. Skinless going, the, the, yeah. the, the personal Govier Skinless. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, beyond that, it was really lame. And as a 15-year-old, I was just beyond baffled. I, I'm like, what am I watching? It I, was trying to, I was trying to think of why a 15-year-old Mike Govier was watching Nell multiple times. Well, you got to go back to 95, man. You got to go back to 95 when your uh, viewing options were limited. And if it was on HBO and that's all you had, you had to settle for it. But I'll miss you, Nell. And maybe I'll watch you again. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll buy Nell and do a rewatch. Is Eric? Is it worth a rewatch? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, luckily she bounced back with uh, a film I really like, Contact, a couple years later. Mm. But this was a huge misstep in an otherwise really uh, respectable career for Jodie Foster. Nell, wait, wait you said ninety-five, right? Yeah, ninety-four. Yeah, 90, Well, ninety-five. She did. Uh, she directed Home for the Holidays, which is one of the greatest. Uh, family movies I can think of, and I was already going to bring it up today anyways because it's got our man Robert Downey Jr. in it. Good point. Good point. Yeah, you've always love, championed love that, that movie. movie. Yeah, you love have. You, you've always told me that. So that's He's not uh, getting it on the ground floor for you that love that movie. He's always been a fan. <laughs> Home on the Holidays, a terrific film, but uh, for, now for the not a good movie. <laughs> terrific film, not a good movie. Wow, that's a whole podcast in itself. No, Home, Home for the Holidays is a terrific film. No, no sucks. Oh, okay. Now I see. Anyways, emotionally uh, disturbed nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds not good. Nell, nineteen ninety four, gets a six point five rating on IMDb. Check it out if you're interested. For those of you who are not interested, don't worry. We're not talking Nell. Most of the show is going to be dedicated <laughs> to Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys is this week's selection for Does It Hold Up? We will get to that in the meat of the show. And if you don't eat meat, then uh, it's the potatoes of the show or whatever. Uh, None of us are eating meat for a while. (laughs) Uh, Wonder Boys will be a lot of fun. And I want you guys to stay tuned because it's not what you think it is. There's going to be a lot of interesting thoughts on it. But before we do that, let's dive into the career of Stanley Tucci. Did the film break? No. The film is fine. At least I think the film is fine, wherever it is. I spent $86 million of the studio's money on 20 seconds of titles. That's all he sent me. The titles! And a note. Dave, we could also do these in blue. We had to make a Hal Weidman picture! The man's won three Oscars. He's a genius. No! There's only been one genius in this business, and that was Senior Wentz. A little lipstick, some hair, and his hand. And the guy had a career for 85 years. Do you remember? Huh? All right, all right, all right. Talk to me about genius. The Tooch. Stanley Tucci <laughs> is a great actor. I'm going to say that. I think this is a guy who deserves to be lauded and praised. I wish that Stanley Tucci got even more run than he already does, which is actually a fair amount. There's a lot of Stanley Tucci fans out there. He's actually in the top 500 on imdb for their like best actors or the most uh, visited pages he's in the top 500 so that's a big deal because there's been film and cinema across the world for over 100 years travis what do you think of when you think of stanley tucci oh well i mean i think a lot of things um but eric this will be no surprise to you when i when i think of stanley tucci i think of one of my favorite comedies of all time what is it eric the Imposters. The Imposters. Yes, 1998, I think it was, Imposters, written, directed, and starring Stanley Tucci. Um, 
now a lot now a lot of folks love big night um big night mm-hmm. is, is, is it's it's a good movie um and I, i'm a big campbell scott fan too so i like their team up um but man you know imposters is just so much fun him like you got tucci you got oliver platt just just hamming it up big time uh not to mention campbell scott and tony shalhoub and Isabella Rossellini and Richard Jenkins and Allison Janney. It's just like this huge cast that could just keep going. Um, so, I, so when I think of him, I think, um, I think of that movie first and, um, and I, and I get a lot of joy from that movie. So, I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's done a lot of other stuff too, but that's definitely the one that comes first. For me. What about you, Eric? What do you think of when you think of Stanley Tucci? I first remember, uh, really um, confirming how good Stanley Tucci was as an actor when I saw kind of an underrated film, Road to Perdition, okay? Mm-hmm. Stanley Tucci, he's, he's always a great supporting actor. I think he's particularly good as uh, gangster Frank Needy in this. Um, for example, at one point, he orders the murder of a 10-year-old boy with the calming nuance of a man ordering a bottle of wine in a restaurant. And not a lot of actors can do that uh, and just make your skin blow up in goosebumps. Uh, we want to talk about good performances and bad films. Uh, look at a movie like The Lovely Bones. You guys seen this movie? Yeah, he was nominated uh, for it, but it was a bad movie. I, I, I He was so good in it. Is this creepy, uh, like, disturbed man. The, mo- the movie's god-awful. Yeah. But the man <laughs> elevates every project he's in. So that's my bottom line. Yeah. Wow. Mike? You know, the first time I ever saw Stanley Tucci that I could remember in my decent memory was in Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 92, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's right. Very good. I, I, saw, I saw it in the theater with my, my uh, dad's side of the family. It was... Uh, it was a fun affair. We were big Beethoven fans. It was a big deal back then. You know, he reminded us of our dog, and Beethoven really kind of stole the show. But Stanley Tucci was this uh, <laughs> doofus in the movie. He played a, the doofus named Vernon, and uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> He's up to hijinks, and it's total trash. Uh, I next saw him in the Pelican Brief. Uh, yeah. He plays a, yeah. He plays a part in that. Not very memorable, mm-hmm. but I do recall that. Yeah. But I never saw, I never saw The Imposters. And I never saw Big Night, so some of the most popular, I guess, where he gets the biggest run, I've never seen those films, so I guess... Imposters I got... is, a, is... I'm sorry to interrupt, but Imposters is, does not get a lot of love. Big Night does, but Imposters mm-hmm. is kind of... Well, you known. guys are giving it love, so... I mean, I, I respect your opinions, and well, I also uh, still have to watch Montana. Montana came out the same year as Imposters, which you were talking about the other day, but you said uh, it wasn't so great. Yeah, well, I, I, I went back and rewatched it a few days ago, and it was one that um, I liked a lot as a kid. Not, like, like Stanley Tucci was someone that I had kind of watched come up because, like, um, I'm a big Quick Change fan from 1990, and he's a Quick Change. And then he came not too long after that. He was in Billy Batgate. He played Lucky Luciano. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that movie, too. Is Quick Change Stephen King? Quick Change is Bill Murray. That is uh, Jay, uh, what's his name? Jay Crone. I forget the, the it's based on oh. Jay Crowley. Uh, I forget the author's name. Okay. Um, but um, so Stanley Tucci, like I was starting to get a, a sense of him as like, yeah, playing muscle, playing like uh, gangster types. And then Montana is very much like this post Pulp Fiction movie that when I saw it in 98, I thought it was so cool. But you go back and watch it now and it's, it's definitely pretty derivative. 
but um, there's not a lot else. I mean, it's, it's worth watching just if you like those two guys, which, you know, I love those guys. Um, yeah. But other than that, it's not, it's not the best movie I've ever seen. I'm going to tell you, my favorite Stanley Tucci performance, and I know Travis might appreciate this, it's America's <laughs> Sweethearts. America's oh. Sweethearts, where he plays Dave Kamen, the, the studio yeah, yeah, yeah. czar with uh, John Cusack and Billy Crystal's like the fixture and Seth Green's the guy learning from Billy Crystal. I love yeah. America's Sweethearts. It's such a stupid movie, but I've probably seen it 50 or 60 times. I can't help myself. He's hilarious in that movie. He makes me laugh out loud. Yeah, he's good. He's very funny in the uh, in the Hunger Games movies too. I got you know we will be remiss not to mention him in in those movies because he is he, he just like really just soaks up every scene that he's in. It's just like you just give me like two hours of this because this would be fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Eric? You have personal favorites? You guys ever see the biopic on Peter Sellers, The Life and Death yes! of Peter Sellers? I remember Stanley that. He plays Stanley Kubrick, and what I love about his performance in that is he doesn't do any type of show like Jeffrey Rush does a lot of showboating and the movie's basically just like a side-by-side comparison of Peter Sellers movies it's kind of purposeless but Stanley Tucci is so reserved and understated in his role as Stanley Kubrick that that's something that really sticks with me from you know a movie like that that's kind of a fluff HBO piece Mm -hmm. the man just has so much there's so much going on under the surface with this I don't know if it's because he's uh you know, a stage actor, and he does his homework when it comes to, you know, subtext and that sort of thing, but um, yeah, he's just very understated, underutilized, I think, nowadays. I mean, Transformers, the uh, What's been going on with his career? Like, I, I mean, like, I, I, know, I looked at the IMDb, and I was like, oh, man, you know, like, I'm think, I'm like, I got all these great movies in my head, and they're all from 10, 20 years ago or more. Um, it seems like he's really kind of slowed up the last few years, and maybe that's voluntarily. Um, but I'm kind of because it seems like this sh- he should be pretty well stationed, I would say, to start really doing some leading man type stuff. I mean, like Mon- one of the reasons I like Montana because he's is because he's basically the second main character in the movie, and the, he doesn't really get to do that a lot other than like Big Night and Imposters. Primo, please, just come on. I want to know for whom. Just make me the side of the spaghetti, please. Secondo, I want to know for who is it for? For the lady with the risotto. What? Why? She likes starch. I don't know. Come on. Bitch. I make it myself. Ah. What are these people in America? I need to talk to her. Oh, please. Primo, what are you going to do? Tell the customer what she can eat, huh? That is what she wants. That is what the customer asks for. Make it. Make the pasta. Make it. Make it. Make the pasta. Come on, let's go! How can she want? They both are starch. Maybe I should make a mashed potato for on the other side. Primo, look, don't, okay? Because they are the first customer to come in two hours. The fucking pipe. No. She's a criminal. I want to talk to her. He directed both The Imposters and Big Night. Did you guys see his, uh, his last feature, 2017's The Final Portrait with Army Hammer and Jeffrey Rush? I missed it. I did not. It looks real interesting. So, uh, so one of us should check it out. We'll update the the podcast because uh, I think he's an awesome director, really underrated yeah. director. So. Yeah, and, and I like him as a leading man too. Oh, um, the whole shebang is not a bad romance um, if you like Stanley Tucci in the starring role. Yeah, he's directed many times. Uh, Big Night Imposters, Joe Gould's Secret in two thousand, 
I did not see that. I did see Blind Date in 2007 with uh, mm. Patricia Richardson. Patricia, How is it? Uh, okay. It was pretty bland. I, it was just kind of so-so. It's like kind of She's bummer. It's like it's kind of a downtrodden film. Sort of like, eh. But it wasn't very memorable, and it's been a while. So, But hey, I love... I agree with Travis. I love seeing Stanley Tucci in a leading role, so giving him as much screen time as possible. And I also agree with you, Eric. I agree with everybody here. He has a whole personality within his body, and his essence just exudes such a, I don't know. Some, it has that. Remember, we were talking about what uh, Jeff emailed us last week about what charisma. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah he's got it. Certain, yeah. Why are you drawn to certain actors? He does have it. He's got that it. And I, I want to see more of him. And, as often as possible it's kind of hard to put your finger on that the, the quality he has but there's a there's wisdom there's sincerity there's charm um it's I usually really very like, sorry go ahead no go ahead drugs please well i, I and he also like it's, it's charm but he's also usually very quiet i mean he's he's able to do big yeah. and funny and all this stuff too but usually he has really kind of like calm performances which maybe that's what draws us to him because like it's just um like there's always like like he doesn't shy like he never looks away from anyone it's always just very like confident but calm hey, i'm a i really like that movie the devil wears prada and uh -huh. i love him in that for that very reason i mean that's a character that you could crank it up to 11 on if you had a different performer in there but yeah he plays it reserved calm fun but it's not a boring performance. Uh, mm -hmm. And let's not forget his, his performance in Made in Manhattan, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Govey, Travis Roy, 2003, sitting on a dirty couch and dirty beds in a shitty, moldy basement in Ypsilanti, Michigan, watching Made in Manhattan on VHS. Yeah. Voluntarily. <laughs> Just the two John Hughes screenplay. Was it really? Yeah. Holy oh my shit. god. Wow. Yep. I didn't know that. John Hughes. It is Drek. <laughs> I don't even remember him in the movie. That's how far removed I am from it now. I just remember J Lo and a maid. I'm totally <laughs> <laughs> on what happened. Um, uh, any final thoughts on Mr. Stanley Tucci? We all seem to agree. We really enjoy him and we'd like to see more of him. Well, I mean, we like him. We'd like to see more of him. Uh, his career seems to be a little bit slowed up, but uh, the, the the consensus seems to be we are pro Tucci. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing him take on uh, uh, like a long term role on you know in a nice engaging HBO series mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, his roles are few and far between. He gets caught up in these supporting roles and. You know the studio system, the way movies are nowadays. Who knows if they'll get the chance to do a leading role yeah. uh, in anything other than maybe a series. So that oh, would man. be really something. He just gave me a thought. Imagine, like, it's, you know, it's way too late now. And it was a little bit of an overburdened show at times anyways. But imagine how well he would have fit into Boardwalk Empire. Like, he, they'd still oh, just written yeah. a role for him and just thrown it in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, if, if I may, um, Columbo... <laughs> no, I like no. I like Colombo. I like I like Tucci better as Colombo than Ruffalo. Oh Nell no too. way! No, no, Stanley Tucci. Yeah, yep. Stanley Tucci takes over as the uh, therapist, the vocal the linguist. <laughs> hey, if you agree with us, or if we do, we leave something out. Did we miss a Stanley Tucci performance that you gotta 
make sure we are aware of, then hit us up at cinema9pod at protonmail.com, cinema number nine pod. It's the numerical nine. We love hearing from you. Write us on Instagram. We'll be talking Stanley Tucci till the cows come home. <laughs> if we wanted to. If we, your friends. <laughs> if we wanted to, we'd talk Tucci forever. But we're not going to talk Tucci forever. We're going to move forward. Tucci talk. It's Tucci talk time. All right, I did it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get to the focus of the show. It's everyone's favorite segment, Does It Hold Up? Yeah. And today's movie is none other than the year 2000's own Wonder Boys. And that is a big trunk. It holds a tuba, a suitcase, a dead dog, and a garment bag almost perfectly. Yeah, that's just what they used to say in the ads. Come on, Crabtree, I know you're holding. Whose tuba is that anyway? Miss Sloviak's. Can I ask you something about her? Yes, she is. So is your friend Crabtree, is he... Is he gay? Most of the time he is James, some of the time he isn't. What do we have here? This looks like... That's our old friend, Mr. Codeine. That should take the old pinch out of the ankle. Want one? No thanks, I'm fine without them. Right. That's where you're standing in the Chancellor's backyard, spinning that cap gun of yours. You're fine. Yeah, you're just as fit as a fucking fiddle. Directed by Curtis Hansen, written novel by Michael Chabon, and uh, screenplay by Steve Clove, starring Michael Douglas, Tobey Maguire, Francis McDormand, Robert Downey Jr., so on and so forth. 2000's Wonder Boys was a uh, fairly well-received movie by most people. It's got a 7.3 on IMDb, which is a rock-solid rating. It means it's not legendary. It's certainly not awful. It's a rock-solid film. Gentlemen, Wonder Boys. Travis? It's no secret. This was kind of your choice. You, you drove this selection. We all agreed, but you drove this. Tell us why you enjoy Wonder Boys, because I, sure, I am sure as shit you enjoy it. Well, you know, when we're doing this does it hold up thing, this is pr- probably one where it's a little, little bit of a cheat, because like, I knew for sure going in, like, hey, this is one of my favorite movies ever. I know I'm going to love it. So um, maybe, maybe, it wasn't, you know, maybe I just wanted to talk about Wonder Boys for a little bit. I know that it's a movie that, like, um, when I talk to other people, especially people that like hadn't been watching it since it came out in 2000, I'll talk to other people and they'll be like, yeah, uh, I know a lot of people really love this movie and it was good, but I don't really get it. You know, I don't, I don't really get the, the appeal. Um, but for me, I love it because it's, to me, it's like a movie, like, I feel like I'm returning to like see old friends, these characters. I just love them so much. I want to spend time with them. And I'm a huge Dante Spinati fan who's a cinematographer. And I think that this is the best work of his entire career. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably get more into that. I, I do want to get more into that. But, um, but there is this, like, the, the colors, the feel of this movie. Like, this movie, I mean, this, the plot of the movie is he wakes up and his wife has left him. And the same day he finds out he knocked up his lover. And, like, this could just be, like, this tremendous comedy of errors. It's, like, so goofy. And instead it's, like, this very, like, uh, um, slice of life. It's you know what? It's like a slice of American pie with melted cheese on top. It is like the most like even in the middle of fall. It is like the most comfortable, comforting movie. It's it's like a wool cardigan. I, I just I just want to wrap it around me and uh, and like and like put on some 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 Bob Dylan or some Van Morrison or some Leonard Cohen or something. And uh, yeah, that's I can keep going, but I'll stop. That is beautiful, Travis Roy. By the way, Rotten Tomatoes on the thermometer, 
Audience score, 83%. That's a, you rarely see a balance like that. Eric, tell us why this balance is well-deserved. There's three movies that anyone who knows me knows are my all-time comfort films. As Good As It Gets, The Color of Money, and Wonder Boys, okay? And it's for these reasons expressed by Travis Roy. I've never wanted to jump into the movie screen and kind of saunter into a smoky little pub with my uh, pea coat and scarf on, sit in a booth, have a uh, Jack Daniels and talk about writing and creativity and, and K-Moo and, and shit like that. The movie envelops you into its world, regardless you know, of, of whether you want to be there or not. And I don't know if it's because like, I, I like to write and stuff, or it's because I have a lot, of, you know, I'd like to think I have a lot in common with these characters, but they seem like friends. If only I could climb in there and just talk to them and maybe even offer Grady Tripp, as portrayed brilliantly by Michael Douglas, some of my own advice or be a shoulder that he can lean his pink bathrobe on. <laughs> uh, I, I think about that all the time when I'm watching this. It's just, it's soothing, all right? It's like a black stout, uh, you know, on like a Wednesday night. Not a Saturday night, a Wednesday night. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I actually didn't know that Wonder Boys was just as big a deal to you. I thought this was... Uh, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I, that's news to me. We've known each other for 25 years. I'm learning something new. That's great. Uh, Wonder Boys, by the way, just to go back in time, some of the comments by reviewers, these are professional critics. Uh, A.O. Scott of the New York Times, January 1st, 2000, said... Wonder Boys is like a George Cukor movie with a bad head cold. Slow, mm. muffled, and vague. Two out of five stars. That's, uh, that's not great. But then there's other people overwhelmingly agreeing. Uh, the Chicago Tribune, Michael Wilmington says, It's an often wondrous comedy, just as rich and surprising as L.A. Confidential, but considerably less dark. Ooh. That's for own, sure. Yeah, and then our own Detroit Free Press, Terry Lawson, Wonders really never cease. <laughs> That's all he says. <laughs> he loves it, I assume. Uh, so overall, all of these, there's only two rotten reviews out of like 12 to 15 reviews from people back in the year 2000. So I hadn't seen in probably 15 to 17 years. It's been a oh, long wow. time. Yeah, I hadn't seen it forever. And even then, I only saw it one other time. So it wasn't something I've watched a lot. So I was looking forward to seeing, because I, I was actually excited this for this because Dick Tracy I've seen a million times, so I basically didn't even I didn't have to watch the movie. I could just talk about it. But this one, this one, I actually set aside two hours and I watched it. And good surprise because I missed a few things. I didn't remember a lot of things, and I had this vague view. My only memory of it was like, oh yeah, like Michael Douglas is old and gross looking, and I think Tobey Maguire and Robert Downey Jr. are gay, and that's all I remembered really. I didn't have. A, I knew there was writing involved. That's all I had. And it was a pretty kind of caveman simplified view of the film. Now I have a totally different view of it because I'm much older and I have so much more life experience that I have an incredible appreciation for this film. I think this is a fantastic movie. Great. Good. I was afraid you were going to hate it. Like I hated Dick Tracy. <laughs> Dick Tra yeah, Dick Tracy's trash, but I said it's trash, but I love it. I admitted that it's important. It doesn't hold up, but it, I like it. Wonder Boys holds up holds because up. the the struggle of life, uh, you know, coming to find your own voice as a writer, but also finding yourself as a human being is what this is about. So let's let's kind of talk about beyond loving this film and 
having it be a warm blanket that it wraps you in. What do you, what do you really enjoy about this film that it does that not a lot of other movies necessarily do? Okay, so I like that the, the characters make consistently bad choices, and yet they're well-intentioned for the most part, and things kind of just keep on working out anyways. Um, and it, so I think it's just kind of about like, uh, there's, there's definitely like this like letting go of control that's like that's part of what's uh, I think going on in the movie, or like letting go, not necessarily just a control, but just like letting go of fear and worry and all this stuff um that i think is, is is a big part of it all the things that you think are important you know like you strip them away and like you know what really matters are the relationships in your life that kind of thing and i think it's about um the importance of of being a mentor um uh like even if you think that you are a fucking wreck even if you think that you are just at the, like the, your worst um you might still have something to offer to someone else in your life and you might be able to be a guiding uh, you know, a force for them, uh, even if you don't think that you're worthy of that. And, um, and I think that the movie is best exemplified by, uh, by Krabs, like freaking out when he sees Vernon holding the gun to uh, Grady's head and he, and he, and he tries to help him. And instead he fucking ruins the book and he ruins the whole book and it all gets destroyed. And it all is for the best. It's, it's like, this, it's like, he's like, it's like this panic, instantaneous decision that he makes that is the wrong one and it works out anyway um so uh, yeah so there's definitely something about 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 like being happy with what you have too like i don't know it's a it's i guess i'm having a hard time putting my finger on it but i've also said a few things so yeah no i, I think you're definitely hitting on some spots people bumbling through life but still with good intentions just you don't have to be perfect and pure to be the mentor i, I think that's a great point of view do you agree with some of that stuff, Eric, or do you see different things in this film? No, Travis, I thought your statements had a lot of value. So uh, I, I think it's, for me, it's about falling into complacency and kind of living in your, living in maybe a lot of the fear that you have in your life. You're about, mm -hmm. you know, having been a burnout or your potential, your ambition, your, your lack of ambition. Um, I mean, it's easy to fall into complacency, but you know, the hard part is getting out of that sort of situation. And I think a big part of the movie is about, you know, needing to be rescued without saying I need help, uh, you know, out loud. Um, Cause the people in Grady's life, they exist as, you know, obstacles, something that he has to confront and, and deal with. In fact, when it comes to like a protagonist having like obstacles, it it this you'd be hard pressed to find another movie uh, that throws so much at you. He's got a, a he's got his ex wife. He's got his lover. He's got uh, this emotionally disturbed kid. Uh, a, a, with Robert Downey, he's got this person that relies on him for his job because he's going under. He's got a baby on the way. The cops are after him. They killed somebody's dog. Easy, he's a good boy, Poe. Poe's a good boy. Easy, Poe. Easy. Good dog.
shit, James. You shot Dr. Gaskell's dog. But I... I had to, didn't I? Well, you could have pulled him off me. Yeah, for me, it's about the people that are around you that are there to help you, you know, even if you're not in a cry for help situation. And I think that's why a lot of the things in the movie, some people complain that at the end, the book getting in the way kind of, you know, helps slash saves Grady without him having too much of a role in his own fate. But I think that's, that's one of the main points of the movie that, you know, things just happen and life isn't like a movie, like, you know, yeah. not a Charlie Kaufman would say, uh, but you know, it's what you get out of it. Luckily, he gets a lot out of it at the end, but yeah, you know, a lot of themes for sure. I like when he gets in. By the way, uh, Katie Holmes does a nice job in this role. It's very um, lighthearted. I mean, she she has depth to it, but it, she's not a main character, but she's like kind of playing this part of where she wants to be the guy who bangs the professor, but she also loves books and she's really into writing. Yeah. I love that the trope doesn't go through. That's one of the things I like about this movie. They don't do it. And Michael Douglas yeah. mm-hmm. is like, no, I actually don't want to do this. But my, my point about that is when they talk about the book, when she gives him a feedback on the book, he's written this massive opus of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I love she talks about choices you didn't make any choices you just wrote and wrote and wrote there's no decisions as a writer but yeah he says maybe you should lay off the weed and he which goes, is brave yeah for her to say yeah but then he also says i wrote the whole damn book that made me a success on weed but he ends up quitting weed at the end of the movie and like i don't it's kind of i'm really confused when you put all that together because it's like hey this is pro weed i've had a great success and i could write well on weed but then weed gave me these these what are we calling them anxiety panic attacks what's the whole deal with that too? episodes spells, spells. No. Yeah, spells. <laughs> yeah, no, that, spells was hilarious <laughs> well it's, it's it's pretty clear like well real quick on 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 hannah on on that character i just want to say real quick that I, I i agree that i think it's cool that she's that that she doesn't just that she's not just like your basic trope and i like that um I like that she's like she's not a wonder boy because she doesn't get in her own way she doesn't fuck herself up so she's so she's not a wonder boy you know um mm. i like that about her um and as for um the weed stuff like for one i could totally sympathize with a pothead professor who's underachieving so that's maybe part of the reason why i like this movie <laughs> um, but you know every time he does drugs like he does codeine and then he start and he has his first blackout in the movie and, I, and then like there are other times where he doesn't even smoke weed he just picks up the weed and then he has it so it's not so much the weed is like giving him anxiety attacks or panic attacks because it happens when he's not even necessarily smoking it um but i do think that it, and i think it's supposed to represent um it's like the pink robe it is something that he's clinging to in his depression, something that was a comfort um, and became part of the cage. That is, wow, I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty deep. Well done, sir. I thought a lot about this movie. Yes, you have. <laughs> and that's great. That's a tremendous insight. That he's going through a whole depression, really. And so what he's doing is hanging on to old ways that aren't working anymore, in a sense. Is that what we're yeah. saying? Yeah. What do you think of that, Eric? You have to find the whole weed thing and Hannah and all that stuff. What do you think about that? When you think about the idea of the Grady character just being this burnout that his inebriation may be the cause of his lack of ambition, which, you know, I know a lot of people that it, that is very much the case, uh, that, that this uh, substance is holding them back from their true potential. But 
I, I like that the that Grady admits at the end. I, I've always been like this. Okay, uh, this has got nothing to do with that. I, I like the fact that Hannah is the person that confronts him about that. Uh, it'd be so easy for them to just have him, you know, sleep with Hannah, then fuck it up with both Sarah and Emily. But they don't go there. Okay. Uh, in terms of like substance abuse, pay particular attention to the James Lear character. And I'm talking about the way that kind of Grady introduces those drugs to him. He's this, he is the Wonder Boy, okay, in my opinion. Uh, Grady, a former Wonder Boy, but James says he doesn't want to lose control of his emotions. And then the second he does, he's laying on Emily's parents' couch, drunk, smoking weed, watching a movie. Uh, and kind of, you know, halfway to becoming someone like Grady, who's never going to finish their book or try to get the Love Parade published. It's I'm the, the funniest part itself. of the movie, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, it's the I'm, funniest part of the whole fucking movie. The, the movie that he's watching is an old Andy Hardy comedy with Mickey Rooney. Listen to what the character says. He's talking about how terrible it would be to be a has-been, okay? And at that second, Emily's parents come and save James and sober him up and kind of get him out of a rut he may be thinking about. So the subtext there between things standing in your way that you rely on that you think are helping you, I think is pretty heavy-handed. I don't know how I feel about it in the long run. I got to think about it a little more. But <laughs> I was shocked when the dog was shot. That blew me away. I, yeah. I didn't remember that from my original viewing, and that's when the movie changed for me. I'm like, oh, wow, well, this is not something <laughs> that I recall at all. I was really surprised because I was kind of annoyed. Like, why is this dog... Why is this dog in his narrative? This dog knows what's up. I'm like, where's this going? And then I was, <laughs> I was completely taken aback and the movie changed forever. And that was really funny. But the funniest point to me was when, <laughs> when Toby's character does the uh, laugh. Well, Rip Torn is in this movie. I didn't remember that either. When Rip yeah. Torn speaking in the auditorium, Q, I'm Q, the very successful. I assume he's like a, James Patterson type, like yeah. some lame. Yeah. <laughs> a book a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, but That's when Jeff James, Brown. when James is all high on whatever he just did with the coding and stuff, and he laughs, that made me laugh out loud. Got a good laugh out of that one. Can we talk about Rip Torn for a minute? Because yeah, like he is barely in this fucking movie. He's got like eight lines, and somehow this is like this is. I think it's a real testament to his skill as an actor. Because he's got like eight lines, and every single one of them are like amongst like the most quotable, funniest lines in the whole. Get that boy a tall glass of Coca Cola, <laughs> <You know? laughs> or the way he just says, "I am a writer." Like it's just so like he, he he's I mean, like every line he delivers is just like it's not even that complicated, and it, but it's fucking hilarious with his delivery, and I just really love him in this movie. <laughs> Quentin Morewood, known to his friends simply as Q. I am a writer. As a writer, you learn that everyone you meet has a story. Every bartender, every taxi driver has an idea that would make a great book. Presumably, each of you has an idea. But how do you get from there to here? What is the bridge from the water's edge of inspiration to the far shore of accomplishment? <laughs> Thank you.
he just kind of is there in this movie and that's fine because it's not really bringing much to the table but i'm glad you think he's funny to me i'm like oh rip torn's here and then he's gone can rip well, be more think, part of this or is he just a straight up doofus in this movie well i think what he's he's a foil for 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 grady i mean he's supposed to be like he is what grady's supposed to be he's what grady could be he you know like he he you know, like he like that that's i mean like yeah so he's that's what the service he's he's fun the function he's serving in the movie i think you know toby mcguire is an interesting actor and james lear's uh probably my favorite role of his for obvious yeah. reasons because i love wonder boys um they don't get into the whole idiot savant uh aspect of the character you know is this an asperger's thing or whatever and that's another great thing about the movie is it does not matter. The character is who he is. The stuff that he says and what he does matters. The whole movie is kind of aimless. Characters weave in and out and nothing needs to be analyzed, okay? Not even the plot or the, 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 the extenuating circumstances need any type of resolution at all in the long run to, you know, to that big of a, of a matter. But... Yeah, I love Tobey Maguire in this. I don't really care for him in anything else, but, you know, I love him as James Lear. Wow. I mean, this is, this is my favorite performance with him as well. Um, I, I, do, I do like him as Spider-Man. Um, I, I, I think uh -huh. that he's, I mean, I, like, I, mean, I think that he's a decent actor. I, kinda, I think he's due to come back from wherever he's gone. Um, but um, his, his role as, uh, as James Lear, I think, is... Um, it's it's a very lovable role. Like he's he's such a like a um, he's like he's like he's lying through the whole thing, but he's also like he's also got this, this sweet innocent vulnerability to him. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also fun watching him like come out of his shell because you get a sense like this is like this is the this is like the reason this movie takes place is because you know like kind of like I said before, it's a big day in Grady or a big moment in Grady Tripp's life. But in uh, James Lear's life, you also get a sense that this is one of the most important weekends of his entire life too like up until that point he'd never uh he'd never had sex he'd never gotten uh anything other than sober all the time and and here's a question i have for you guys do you do you think that he was going to kill himself in uh outside of the chancellor's house when um cause that's what grady thinks he's got the gun for right that's what he, he says at one point in the movie like I, he was almost going to do something stupid tonight and what do you guys think do you think he was going to kill himself or do you think he was just playing with a gun I think he was definitely going to kill himself. And hmm. It just seems obvious. Because it's a real gun. Or he was going to do some murder-suicide thing, even worse. It could have been way out of control. Or he could have just been, you know, I mean, he, he says that he's sleeping at the bus station. I mean, he could just have it for that. I don't know. He does lie a lot. He does. Yeah, that's bullshit. I always thought that the reason he knows all of the uh, celebrity suicides is because he is recently researching it because uh, he intended to do that himself so yeah i think he's probably about to shut it down well it is what we're supposed to think i think because that's what grady says but like I, I don't know what he infers that from beyond the fact that he's holding the gun and, and he says that the uh, um that the um greenhouse looks like heaven you're not like my other teachers professor Tripp. you're not like my other students james look james about this afternoon workshop I'm sorry. I think I let things get a little out of hand. They really hated it. I think they hated it more than any of the other ones. Well... It doesn't matter. It only took me an hour to write. Really? That's remarkable. I have trouble sleeping. 
While I'm lying in bed, I figure them out. The stories. You cold, James? Oh, a little. Let me go inside. It's colder in there. <laughs> I guess you're right. Actually, I saw the greenhouse. I thought I'd come outside and take a look at it. Looks like heaven. Looks like heaven. I saw a movie once. Part of it took place in heaven. Everyone wore white. Lived in crystal houses like that. Where they should be going. Goodbye, Professor Tripp. But also, while I'm on that scene, that I think was one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie. Um, the way that the, the snow falls and the way like the house looks, the way the greenhouse looks. Um, I want to like, just again, like I want to just quickly touch on, on Dante Spinati, who, uh, you know, has kind of fallen off lately. He did, he did Ant-Man and the Wasp. He hasn't done as much uh, as, in terms of cinematography lately. But like when Wonder Boy starts, like you get this extreme close-up of, of Michael Douglas's face. And then you get like these, these shots of, of, of Hannah and James Lear and like, and then a row of students on either side. And you can see every single face in frame. Like, and and they, he does this throughout the movie, like where he has like these people like in different parts of the room and they're both in focus. And it's not like one of those split things. It's like, he's actually somehow magically getting both these people in focus. And then throwing that on top of that, that warm feeling that's going on throughout that whole movie. Um, I, I'd say, you know, Conrad Hall, Tak Fujimoto, Conrad Hall Sr., I should say, Tak Fujimoto, and, uh, and Roger Deakins, of course, and fucking Dante Spinati, man. Dante Spinati. All right, I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. Um, did pretty much all of Michael Mann's films, if I'm remembering right. He did The Insider. He did Heat. He did Heat. I think he goes all the way back to Manhunter. He did, um, yeah, he did. He, yeah, he did. He did Manhunter and he did Last of the Mohicans. You're right. The, I'm, the blacks and the reds and the gold in this movie. You're, the you're right. It's like, it's like a Thanksgiving dinner, like a plate <laughs> of, of Thanksgiving dinner food, like uh, in, in cinematography. Um, yeah, so gorgeous. I mean, we'd be remiss too, unless we want to talk a little bit more about the cinematography to, no. to not talk a little bit about Curtis. Hanson, rest in peace, because uh, I don't think we had a film after this that was too terrifically celebrated. Eight Mile was a good movie that people liked a lot. Whether you'd like it or not, it was 2002. Yeah, it was okay. slick. Definitely a competent movie. I, I think he's a great director. Yeah, he was good. He was good. LA Confidential. LA Definitely. Confidential, that's, that's where it's at. That's, the, that's yeah. what I love. River Wild. He did. I remember him doing Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I remember he did that. <laughs> River Wild. Yeah. That was so funny. I, LA Confidential is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. So just for that alone, Curtis Hansen gets to be wow. part of my... It really is. I, I don't think I'm pulling any punches there. I, I, stand, I stand tall on that one. It's been a long time. It's been about 15 years. Wow. Well, maybe that might get on the list. But okay. So now I digress. But Curtis Hansen... I think he's solid. I don't think it, you just mentioned his movies. They're not great movies. Uh, Travis yeah. Curtis Hansen, someone you really love. No, I mean I love Wonder Boys, and that's about it. L.A. Confidential, Eight Mile, and this movie. Those are like his big three in our world. I mean, unless I did. It's funny. I saw The Hand That Rocks the Cradle in 1992 on VHS. We rented <laughs> it from. Uh, yeah, I did too. Heart, Heartland Video. Heartland was that right? Not Movie Land. The other one. 
Heartland Video. Heartland Video, yeah. And we got food from what had just opened, La Pizza. La Pizza. <laughs> it was a real place. And <laughs> I went over to Matt Simiak's on a Friday night with Mike Neal and him, and we had a blast watching Hand the Rocks to Cradle, eating fried chicken and pizza. And then we went downstairs, and we tried to jump up and catch <laughs> the, the rafters from the ground, but I was too short to jump up and get them, but they could. So I tried to jump off a couch. And I fell and got knocked out and pissed my pants on the cement floor. <laughs> that was a good night. That's why I'll always remember The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, because that's the movie we watched that night. So. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis Hansen. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis Hansen. Could have done it without you. Fuck that one childhood. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie looks beautiful. Wonder Boys is a gorgeous-looking film, no doubt about it. If you love cinematography and you want to comment on it, hit us up at Cinema9Pod on Instagram. Twitter and send us an email, cinema nine. That's the numerical nine. Cinema nine pod at protonmail.com. Gentlemen, we have not even talked really about Sarah Gaskell, Francis McDormand's character. Now, oh. I also love Sarah Gaskell's character because she is not going to be a toy to be kind of played with by Grady with his constant uncertainty and back and forth and wishy washiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that about Francis McDormand in this role. And she plays it not like cruel at all, she's just very matter of fact. I, I have said for years um, that my favorite I love you in cinema history is her saying, I love you, Grady, uh, when she picks him up from his first uh, episode. And she, well, actually, she doesn't give him a hand. He, has a, he, he gets himself up. Uh, and she gives him back his glasses. And basically, he, she's like telling him, like, we could be together. We could do this. Mm. And, and, he's like, uh, and he's like, oh, I don't know, basically. And then and she tells him, I love you, Grady. It's just like the, the way she whispers that, like the intensity behind that. It's, it's literally... I mean, it's fucking Francis McDormand, you know? Yeah. For me, it's when her voice breaks, when she's, she's talk, telling Grady that, you know, it, it may not be morally right, but it could work between them. And it's, I think it's right before that scene, before he drops the gun. And how, in the, how the fuck you are so talented as you can deliver just a few words and just break an audience member's heart just like that? Uh, is beyond me. So yeah, she's a, a tr- just tremendous talent. And and you're right, her her decisions to to you know go through with this herself, uh, regardless of what Grady thinks. All right, it's out of his control now. Here's a character that's trying to spend the whole movie pick up all, pick up all the pieces and all the flying sheets of paper. That he's Ooh, right. And this woman says, "I'm going to handle this myself, regardless of what you say." It's just awesome. Well said, Eric. I think Wonder Boys has really held up. Do we have any arguments that it hasn't held up? And is there any part of this movie that needs to be discussed? As Travis, I know you love this film. What have we missed in this film? Have Are you covered- fucking kidding me? Yeah, Mike, come on now. <laughs> Are you in a rush? You have to take a shit? What's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because we have not even barely talked about Robert Downey Jr., yeah. man. Absolutely. Oh, come on. It's the same old Robert Downey Jr. It is, no! But it's not the same old Robert Downey Jr. Oh, so yeah, let, it is. Hang, hang on a goddamn second. All right. So wow. let, let's, you have to contextualize this because might, it might be same old Robert Downey Jr. to you. Yeah. But to those of us who were in the year 2000, it was a drink of, of much needed water because his career had really started to kind of like dry up around the early mid 90s. Mm. Speaking yeah. of uh, Home for the Holiday, he did Home for the Holidays, which was fucking fantastic. And then he didn't do much else besides uh, for another five years. And then he popped in for Wonder Boys. And then after that, he did what, like, Singing Detective and like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. 
Ally McBeal. Uh, yeah. Right. Like it, it was nothing. <laughs> he, did, he did almost nothing until Iron Man. So, um, so, so for those of us that consider ourselves pretty big Robert Downey Jr. fans, this was, this was a, this was a nice, uh, much needed punch in the, oh, in wait, the wait, arm. Wait. He, he definitely the did something before. He did kiss, kiss, bang, bang in 05. No, that was 2003. Yeah. 2005. And then good night and good luck. I mean, he was, okay. So this movie does cement his return. Well, no, I'm just yeah. saying, like, I'm saying, well, I'd say Iron Man cements his return. Um, like, but, um, but I'm, hang on. He was Gothica, like, just like thriller trash. He has no, no business being in. Not in dreams. In dreams. Right. Like, it, it was mostly Zodiac. Zodiac was amazing. I thought he Zodiac was wasn't until 2007 or something. Right. Yeah. But I'm yeah. saying, we're talking about three different things. You're talking about the return, whatever the return means. Roughly was Zodiac and Iron Man, I would say, what would be around that time. Um, Iron Man, Tropic I'm, Thunder, and Zodiac all came out 07, 08. And yeah, so right. he's back. So that was, that was his tremendous scale. return. Right. But I'm, but I'm just saying, like, um, uh, for that time, it was, it, was a nice, it was a nice role. And also, um, it was very sensitively and uh, well portrayed homosexual for, for 2000. Right. Um, it, it's not like a huge deal isn't made out of it. It's just like, this is just crabs. And he's That's just like, you, a, he's yeah. just, he's just a cool, funny dude. Um, I thought about that. I agree with you there. And I love, um, I love, uh, you know, I love the performance. I, I love the, uh, the, the way that you see, like, okay. So the exchange, like this, this visual exchange that like takes place between like Michael G Douglas perceiving, uh, uh, I should say Grady trip, like seeing, um, uh, crabs meet james lear for the first time and be impressed by him and like he was like you can see michael Douglas' mm -hmm. face like oh fuck what am i doing here like it's just gonna be a terrible thing to introduce these two uh and like the, the looks on like and, and and like and like robert downey jr's face when grady says that he's made a mistake and he wants to go find the apartment or the house and like he just like lays his head on great on grady's shoulder i don't know but my favorite moment one of my favorite moments in the movie um is just grady coming home and realizing that Krabs got bored and threw a tremendous party in his house. And like he walks in and there's this huge house party and there's, and there's, uh, <laughs> and there's Robert Downey Jr. in the middle of it, just kind of like bumping his leg and jamming and just like so comfortable and cool and just like looking really sexy and fucking Robert Downey Jr. in his prime. And also while we're on that, God damn, Leonard Cohen waiting for the man at a giant like party, like, that is like that. I think that scene ruined me as a party DJ for like ten years because I kept on trying to play things like go <laughs> ahead, like, like, parties. Like no one, it's like a, it's a party full of like hundred and fifty college kids. They don't want to listen to fucking Leonard Cohen. <laughs> we'll put on Gloomy Sunday. <laughs> All right, that's, that's that's my rant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and any other actor would have just. Been, tried to devour this and make it uh, this uh, antagonistic character that's on Grady's ass, you know, you know, we don't have time for this, but Robert Downey Jr. is so like disengaged in all these circumstances. He's not offended when he's insulted right to his face. Uh, it, he's just, um, I don't know. I love him in it. Okay. So yeah, it is 2000 and it's kind of right where he was trying to, I think he was in prison. Like when this came out, like in theaters, like, that was literally like right when he woke up in like a fucking kid's bed, like <laughs> out of his mind on drugs. Like that. <laughs> but, it was a bad time for him. Yeah, but I don't know how much of this was like improvisation either, but he's 
really embodies this small role. It could be a, it could be just a nothing role with anybody else in it. Yeah, I'm actually reconsidering it being a really um, as far as the homosexual aspect of his character. Yes, they don't like harp on it, which is good, but they also. It's not well done, in my opinion, because he's got to be like this hornball who's like taking advantage of every single person. That is still like a trope, unfortunately. It's better. It's better than what you had seen in film and TV during that. Sure. Yeah. But it's still I just I'm going to backtrack what I said earlier. I mean, it's better, but it's still not. I don't know. I thought it was still a little over the top. Like every gay person has to be like this. Every gay man has to be this super horny guy. And he's like, he brings a, he brings a cross-dressing, what used to be known as transvestites right. back in the day, right off the plane. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, I But you know what? Um, that, but, that, but that gets to another point, though, of, 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 see, he too is going through the motions. Remember, Antonia says to Grady, um, I think he's just into collecting weird tricks or whatever. And then right. it's like, it's like, he's going through the, he's going through the motions. He's going, this is like, this, this is just like, just like Grady is like, he's just doing that. Like he has no interest in, in falling in love and, or having sex with Antonia really, or even maybe even with James, like the, the like the, I mean, the sex was maybe a little bit more uh, planned, but um, it seems like a, it's a lot more of like, just like, this is just like, because it's like a uh, arrested development thing. Like this is how he always did it before, but now he's like hitting his forties and like it's getting weird. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. I I thought that he was being Robert Downey Jr. in this film, which is what Robert Downey Jr. does. I I used to like him in his earlier work, like back in the Chaplin days and stuff. But he's fine now. He, what he does now in the Marvel world has just changed him completely, and that good for him. I mean, he's. A gazillionaire, and he's supposedly clean and sober, which is great for him. I'm happy for his recovery. And in this movie, he does a solid job of being Robert Downey Jr. It's, he plays it a little more toned down than what you would see today, I think. But yeah, that's how I see it. He plays it. He plays a good like friend. He's someone I would want to be my friend. That you know, <laughs> yeah. I can challenge, and he can rib me, and it's not right. a big deal. His character, yes, he wants Grady to finish the book, but he also just wants to you know, live and, and love life and, and live it by happenstance. So it, it, it adheres with the, the rest of the film and kind of this aimless, purposeless quality. So I think it's an advantage and a lot of it is the way he plays it. I'm really flattered, honey, but this just isn't I'm sorry. Interrupting a teacher-student conference? No offense, Tripp, you're not exactly the most attentive host. Well, you've been taking good care of that, huh, Krabs? Sometimes we have to improvise. Where the hell have you been, anyway? I took a drive with James Lear. He popped the Chancellor's dog, didn't he? What? Yeah, at first the police thought he just ran away, but this afternoon Dr. Gaskell found blood spots on the carpet. Oh, Jesus. Most everyone figured it was an intruder, but right off, Terry said it sounded like something James would be messed up in. Has anybody else come up with this brilliant deduction? Oh, not yet, but they will. It's just a matter of time. Come on, you don't even know James. Who does? I do. I do now. I spent some time with him, and I read something of his. His book? Yeah. You read his book? Yes. Is it good? It's good. It's very, very good. It's... It's true. I knew it. So where is he now? I sent him home with his parents. What? What? His parents? Mm-hmm. Why? Why did you do that for? What, because what under you... the circumstances, I thought it was the best thing for him. I'm beginning to think maybe it was the best thing for me. 
I just, uh, I wasn't there for. Imagine that. Yeah, there's like a sweet innocence to him, kind of, too, I think. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot better than Doolittle, I'll say that. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no dragons with uh, <laughs> musical instruments up their ass, so. Yep, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's bizarre. So yeah, you, I'll give, kudos. Yeah, of course you did. You will watch anything. I'll give you credit for that anytime. Oh, by the way, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was great in A Scanner Darkly. I just wanted to mention that. He I was. I really like him in a movie called Game Six with Michael Keaton based on a Don DeLillo book. Have you guys seen this? No. 2006. 2006, Michael Keaton plays a playwright who's a burnt out playwright. Okay. I think you know where I'm going with this. And he's got to deal with this really harsh, horrible, like infamous critic played by Robert Downey Jr. Uh, but it's not Birdman. It's called Game Six. Really small movie. No one saw it. Really good. And uh, the performances are awesome in it. So I definitely recommend that. Well, all right. Check it out. Good to, good to know. All right. Well, as far as Wonder Boys, though, we've got great performances, characters that you just fall in love with. Uh, favorite scenes. Travis mentioned that the, how beautiful the scene is at the party with the greenhouse and Toby. No, my, my favorite. My favorite What's scene it? is is Philip Bosco busted in. Like we already said it with with, with Philip Bosco busted in on on Tony McGuire, like just drinking scouts scotch and smoking weed on his couch. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, that's so bizarre. How that I thought that was really kind of fresh. Like they're not pissed really. Like he. Bandage, he fixes up his ankle and such, and he's like really nice to Michael Douglas's character. He's like, Greedy, mm -hmm. hey, my, my daughter hates you, and she's gonna get a <laughs> I'm an old man, and I understand what it's like to you know struggle. I don't know, it was kind of unusual, and I actually really like that part. Yeah, I like that scene too. The whole thing, that whole bit. It's, it's, such a, it's such a weird aside from the rest of the movie in a way. But, and, yeah. and, and she's like, you're in kinship. Oh, you're, you're, with, you're with Emily. And he's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like, and he says that in the, in, 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 that in, the uh, uh, in the voiceover too. He's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, like I don't, like, it's like he just like, like he thinks that he's supposed to go fight for her, but he doesn't even want to. Like, he doesn't want to fight for her. He's, he's, he's done. It's mm -hmm. he, he, just, oh. God, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, what about you, Eric? Do you have a favorite scene that really stands out beyond the ones we discussed? I just like the scenes where they're all kind of like the first act where they're all kind of just hanging out with each other, having fun, going to work fast. One of the reasons I love this movie so much is it always makes me just want to like fucking try, try my hand at the great American novel. Uh, <laughs> and like, the, I think that movie does a really good job of, of talking about like, academia and what it mm -hmm. means to put yourself out there as a writer because I've been in a couple of like writing workshops and it's like it's like being in hell because people will literally just say this isn't good I don't like your writing and it makes you feel like James I mean one of the reasons I think you would probably thinking about suicide is here's a here's a boy that's out literally standing in the cold winter outside of a giant house a kingdom where these famous writers are inside talking about how much they love each other's work when he was just told that his work sucks and that he's got no one to support him so yeah it, it always just makes me feel about differently about creativity and how some people do need positive reinforcement in their writing people that rely on them and something that just nudge them into having a little bit more ambition 
it's one of the more interesting things about um, my history graduate school experience was uh, learning that like the, the, the steps that like I would never have dreamt of showing my mother, you know, like the first chapter of something or anything like that. And the way it works in the history profession is that you show everybody everything and just you're constantly getting critiqued. And it's very, it's just like, um, it's, 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 but it's also not like that. It's, it's, the criticism is always like, you know, instructive. <laughs> yeah. Destructive. Destructive. Yeah. Oh. That's a good point, Eric. This is one of my favorite uh, movies that has Pittsburgh as the backdrop. Uh, I can think of this. My favorite. It's your favorite for sure. Yeah, favorite. Uh, yeah, probably yours too. But I also enjoy Zach and Mary Make a Porno, which is based in Pittsburgh. I enjoy that film. It's not as good as this movie, but I enjoy it. And 1983's All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise and Craig T. Nelson, also based right. in the Pittsburgh area. There you go. Three movies with Pittsburgh as a backdrop. Guys. There it is. I know I jumped the gun early, but I feel like we can come to a conclusion on this film now did, that Robert Downey Jr. has been given his did, due. Did we talk about Michael Douglas at all? We definitely <laughs> talked about Grady. He was mixed in throughout all of it. What else do you want to say about Michael Douglas? No, nothing. I just, I, I just love this movie. I'm, no, I'm done. I'm good. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I've said pretty much everything that I really wanted to say about. It. Oh, uh, Vernon Hardapple. Shout out to Vernon Hardapple. <laughs> Vernon, yeah. And his, uh, his girlfriend or wife with the baby pregnant. Good I, never, I never forget Nula. When, you know, when Krabs is like, we, we, we need to cope back. We need to cope back. And Ula like definitely hears that. And like, just kind of waiting for Grady to say something. He's like, hey, did you know that you belong to Marilyn Monroe? And he lets <laughs> her keep it. And like, he doesn't know at that point if that, he doesn't, he doesn't know if, 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 if James is going to be suspended, if he's going to go to jail. Like, he doesn't know. Yeah. But he could, yeah. he could help things a little bit. <laughs> he just fucking doesn't. And there's no real good explanation for it, but everything works out. <laughs> oh, you're right about that, man. That's... Well said. I didn't know this. I thought a couple of things. Apparently, uh, one of the suicides was referenced was Alan Ladd's suicide. And mm -hmm. it was Shame. The, the family was pissed and they wanted it removed from the movie. So oh, shit. I guess they ended up doing that. It was also released in February of 2000, but it didn't get a lot of love, and they re-released it in November of 2000? That's is that right? A, that's Very much I'm, a fall movie. This is, that's what I'm right. reading. It was, it was almost unheard of for a movie to still actually pull it off. It's right. Very February unheard. is like where movie goes, movies go to die. So, yeah, I could see that marketing department being like, we got we to gotta get this back into the limelight, win some Oscars. But that's almost a, like I can't think of it any other like that. This that just almost never happens. Um, yeah, no. Then I don't know. There was no. I mean, they didn't win any Academy Awards for this film, so it didn't really no, work. No. Out, so. I think it's universally agreed here. This clearly holds up. Uh, Michael Douglas was on a great run at this time. He had done Traffic the next year in two thousand one. This was a really great, maybe his final kind of curtain call. Uh, maybe we disagree on that, but beyond the candelabra. That was great. He was great. I love him in that. He's that was so good. good in that. I He's like him in the Ant Man great. movies. I like him in both Ant Man movies. Yeah, those are yeah. I guess those are um, I guess I'm thinking like cool. really The like, Game, right? The game's great. That's ninety seven, but 97. I'm thinking like deep I'm thinking deep like you know, the Marvel movies are fun. They're fun. I get it. I'm down. I watch them. But these traffic and this movie are like legitimate like respectable acting performances, I guess. Did you I mean. see uh, Solitary Man, the Brian Koppelman of Rounders fame film with Michael I Douglas? Did not. 
Really good. Yeah, really good right about that this time, too. So he's definitely on a streak. Uh, Brian Koppelman, that he's huge right now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a really good writer. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, Michael Douglas does an incredible job in this film. All the acting's great, but the cinematography is beautiful, as you guys stated. This is a film, in my opinion, that completely holds up, and I will... I don't know if it's something that I'll watch again and again, like uh, maybe you guys are, but I definitely recommend it to everybody. I think it holds up. And I, if you have any kind of uh, purpose in this life and you find that you've ever struggled or things didn't go your way and you really enjoy movies that have a, a kind of an honest streak to them, then you'll love this film. Absolutely agreed, Mike. Agreed. Very concise. If you love this film and you've seen it, then hit us up at Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. If you've never seen it and you have questions about it, but for some reason you've listened to this whole podcast, <laughs> and I can't help you, but still, send us an email anyway. Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. If you have questions about this movie you've never seen, <laughs> email us strangers. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, well, let's uh, rotate, switch gears, as they say, into some emails. We have two emails today. They come from loyal listeners. And the first one is from Leanne. Leanne says, hey, guys, I'm loving the podcast. It's fascinating to hear how much could be discussed about one movie. It's really true. There's a lot. It, we try to choose movies that have a lot of angles, hopefully. Dick Tracy, eh, maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a movie person. I love watching them. I just rarely take the time. So I have a huge list I have to see. For example, I just watched Pretty Woman for the first time. <laughs> Good okay. movie. Great. Good for you. I have a question and a suggestion. Question is, what are the top three movies I should definitely see during quarantine? I can't do thrillers, scary movies. She hates those. Or anything too depressing. Maybe you guys could give me your choices. Uh, uh, who wants to go first? Three movies to watch during quarantine that's you could recommend that are not scary horror or too depressing? Travis. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give some suggestions when we get into the quarantine roundup. So that would be, that'd be part of it. I recommended uh, portrait of a lady on fire last week. I would stand by that. Yeah. Uh, I would stand by the film wonder boys. That's a fine <laughs> movie. Um, and then if you've never seen, um, uh let's see hmm fuck so i don't know so many films to choose from <laughs> my no. brain is saying uh there's this movie called uh frog that came out like in i think 1987 where there's this <laughs> frog that can speak and like it's saying when the moon hits your eye like yeah. a big frog yeah frog uh, i don't recommend the movie frog <laughs> oh my god Sun theaters <laughs> Damn. I think I'm, due, I'm due to watch it again. You remember that one, Eric? Remember Frog? Frog, right? Corey Haim? Frog? Maybe. Frog. I can't. I can't remember. It's been. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've seen. What Frog. I remember is that dumb song and the, the the fact that the movie was called Frog. Yeah, that's pretty much all I remember too. <laughs> and yet, it's your top recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> it was the third movie that came to my brain. I don't know why. Uh, apparently, Frog. He a uh, TV movie. <laughs> Elliot Gould. <laughs> Elliot Gould yeah, in this? Elliot Gould is in it. I, yeah, that sounds right. A kid experimenting with frogs finds yes. that one of the subjects can actually speak. Yeah, and sing. Shelley Duvall, Scott Grimes, Elliot Gould. Yeah, that's my, that's my recommendation. 
Paul Williams is in this. <laughs> okay, wow. This actually gets a 6.3 on IMDb. It's not, it's not like totally dismissed. So. I don't think it should, probably, but it's been a and while. It's, it's only 54 minutes, too, by the way. <laughs> Frog. Uh, Eric, do you have three Frog. movies? Uh, any movies in the realm of cinema history that recommend? There aren't scary movies. I know you love scary movies. None of those. You know, I was recently thinking about if there was like three movies that like an alien came down to Earth and he's like, all right, what, what are these things? Movies? What do you got here? And he like wanted me, he or she wanted it, wanted me to, to show it some films. I would probably show three movies. Leanne can either take these or leave them. All right. I'd encourage her to take a chance on some of them. The first one would be City Lights. Okay. It's a Charlie Chaplin film from, I think, 1930. I think it is the most beautiful love story ever told on film. It's life affirming, it's, it's sad, it's, it's sweet, it's powerful, it's, it's uh, uplifting. Uh, if you're into silent movies that are you know 90 years old, check that one out. Um, I'd encourage her to watch Star Wars from 1977. Uh, oh, she hasn't seen it yet because uh, uh, you know, along with that, like The Wizard of Oz or Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's a perfect adventure film. Um, I'd encourage her to also watch Schindler's List, which I believe to be uh, too depressing. Most, no, uh, it's too depressing. You can't do it. That, that well, was on the I'm, list. I'm too just depressing. saying. Look, it may be very depressing. But just I'm just replace saying, it with uh, Frog. Just, film. just sit down yeah. and watch City yeah. Lights <laughs> and the other one and Frog. Oh, Explorers with Ethan Hawke and uh, River Phoenix then from 1985. Yeah, go. Kids okay. go to space yet? You're not feeling like uh, Holocaust mode. Go with Explorers from 1985, Joe Dante film. How does it hold up to Stay Tuned? Is it is this good or, wor or worse than Stay Tuned? <laughs> it's better than Mom and Dad Save the World. But, yes, but, it is. Uh, you know, a little less than uh, Stay Tuned. Eddie Barzun. Uh, that's a, it. Eddie Barzun. Your turn, I'm a Mike. Fan of man. <laughs> you have to name three movies for Leanne to watch. Hey, Leanne, three films that you can watch that are not too depressing or scary. No Holocaust. Frog, frog, I was frog. actually going to throw out Life is Beautiful, but it is about the Holocaust. I was oh, thinking uh, about that, too. It's very sad. But it's movie. also, like, uplifting, and it oh, is also very sad. Spirit it's, of humanity? Can't you have, like, I don't know what to do. I eh, think, yeah, Mordecai. that probably doesn't fit, doesn't fit the Mordecai. Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai yeah. is great. You would love Mordecai. That's probably <laughs> it's fun. So, it's so fun. Um, if you want to have a good time, uh, watch The Lion King. I hear that's very uplifting. Uh, maybe you would consider, I don't know, how about... Uh, Moana? A lot of movies. Moana? A, lot of, a lot of movies have a, a depressing tint to them that are really good films, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if you're somebody who's uh, shying away from these things, I would try to avoid any movie in the top 500 of all time, probably, because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really hard to uh, avoid depressing or scary moments at times. Although Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's a fun film. If you've never seen any Indiana Jones films, those are a lot of fun. Well, it's got Nazis in it. It's got Nazis too, so maybe we better. Yeah, but it's like light. It's lighthearted Nazis. It's oh, like, oh I mean, that's not a good thing, but they're scary, you know. But they're not. But it's not like producers lighthearted. No, like, no, no. It's like they're like a five. Yeah, yeah you're right, ten. man. Who knew it could be so complex? There's some goofy uh, fucking Nazis out there, man. I'll, how about this, Leanne? Uh, there's a great movie called Dr. Strangelove. I think it's a funny, funny film. It's older, but it's still... It's, it's about nuclear holocaust. Yeah, but it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's definitely a comedy. Do we, we all just, agree on that? Just watch Look Who's Talking To and call it a day. 
There you go. Yeah, if you just want to downsize, go to 80s and 90s trash films like Look Who's Talking to, Look Who's Talking, uh, any or, John Travolta from the late 80s, early 90s before Pulp Fiction is probably... Or John Candy. No, I watched... Uh, okay, I watched a great John Candy movie, Only the Lonely. I think I talked about it recently. There you watch go. Only the Lonely. That's a great John Candy. Yeah, watch Uncle Buck. Watch The Great Outdoors. These are fun films, guaranteed laughs. I mean, that Ronan Craig is one twisted son of a bitch. Crooked son of a bitch. Cro crooked son of a bitch. Damn it. I blew it. Who's Aaron Lips yeah. and assholes. <laughs> uh, armed and dangerous? Aaron? Oh, yeah, it's oh, great. I love always Eugene down. Levy. Always down right, for that, you. I was just going to say, I'm always down for Eugene Levy. I agree. <laughs> let's, do, let's do the next email. What's the next one? Uh, hopefully, Leanne, those help you. We'd do the best we could. Yeah. We tried. Yeah. Those are Don't very, watch Frog. I was kidding about Frog. It's a tight one. about Schindler's List. Uh, north, yeah. <laughs> north by Northwest. That's a fun one. I love that it's a, movie. It's a, it's a great movie. Okay. Marty Landau. Next email is from Chad. Hello, Chad. Hello. He's, he says, gentlemen, I've been enjoying the show. Thank you for your cautious and sober-minded scrutiny of not only the films, but also the human person, Mark Ruffalo, during <laughs> your last episode. These are the conversations we need more of during these unprecedented times. I was all the more disappointed then to listen to a few minutes later to your frankly ham-fisted handling Oof. of one of cinema's endearing treasures, Warren Beatty. <laughs> he's, no, he's no Ned Beatty. Let's be honest. No, wow. Oh, geez. Hold the phone. Uh, washed up? Sure. Cringe-inducing? I'll give you that. Nepotistic? Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Glowing endorsement. But Beatty in his prime could act circles around Mark Ruffalo. All day long. And I bet wow. dollars to donuts the American people are with me on this. So that brings him to his point. To the reason I'm emailing. I've been wondering this for over a decade now, and I can't figure it out. Can you folks please explain what the big deal with George Clooney is? I understand the pretty face and all, but he just exudes a real Elmer Fudd vibe to me. <laughs> just kind of a bland lump of pizza dough, you know? It's like we all wow. just got on board with this guy and nobody ever questioned it. Looking for some guidance here. Yours truly, Chad G. Travis, the floor is yours. Uh, have you seen Michael Clayton? I mean, have you sat down and watched Michael Clayton? Watch Michael Clayton and you will never... I would, I, and I, I, that'll answer all your questions. Next. It's a great film, I agree. Yeah. Fucking Michael Clayton, man. And again, the charisma thing. It's not just that he's a pretty man. He, he, he exudes charisma, I think. And I, I think he has a very uh, rich delivery that is pleasing to watch and listen to. Siriana was legit. He did a great job in Siriana. I got to give him yes. credit for that. Suffered major head injuries from that movie. Oscar. He did? Oscar. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, forget Oscar. the Oscar. You're right. He suffered legitimate injuries. He gained 30 pounds. He really went for it. And... Yeah. If he's willing to go all the way and make the effort, he will give you a good performance. It is possible. Better yeah. actor than director, though. I watched Suburbicon recently. And I was like, oh, okay. Good night and good luck. Did he direct Good Night and Good Luck, or was he? he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. That's a good one. Mine. Oh, yeah, I need to revisit yeah. that one. Sam Rockwell, yeah, about. Yeah, uh, I, need to, I need to revisit that one. I read the book. That was a good book. The, the Gong Show CIA guy. Yeah, with, yeah. It's Chuck, got the, uh, Chuck with R. something. Chuck, Chuck something. Chuck. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Eric. I love George Clooney. Uh, I'm frankly, uh, I'm disturbed by this uh, this question. I, yeah. I pretty much thought it was a given that everyone loves America's sweetheart, George Clooney. Um, 
I remember watching him as Dr. Ross on ER, and every single week, he brought so much conviction and heart and honesty to his performance uh, on that show. And it carried over like very, very few uh, actors did from TV to film. Remember when like the, the Peacemaker or something came out and like yeah. Ernesto Don, all of a sudden he was in movies and everyone's like, yeah. uh, we're totally okay with this. This guy's a movie star. <laughs> yeah. um, I pretty much like him in every single movie he's in besides like Intolerable Cruelty. The Perfect Storm. I love Up in the Air. It's one of my favorite Up in the Air is great. Dusk Till Dawn is trash. That was trash. I mean, yeah, but, he, but, he, but yeah. for 96 or whatever, he was really fucking cool. Like yeah. for what it was when it came out, it was he, his performance was cool. Maybe don't watch the movie over and over again, but anyways, I, I agree. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, I think, I think up in the air is another, another really good one. And I think that he's got a lot of uh, good moments and uh, totally think, out of sight is amazing. I love, love, out, of love out of sight. Love yeah. out of sight. It's been one of my favorite movies. Put it on yeah. the list with LA Confidential. Out of Ooh, sight I would, I would love to do that soon. I haven't revisited that since the early 2000s. Oh, it's he's so the great. kind of actor that is. Oh, we need to yeah. announce our next he, one anyway. Sorry. Yeah, we got. Yeah, we should do that. But but Clooney's the kind of actor that you you um like. He's so good looking and talented, but like you're not jealous of it, envious of it. You support him uh, in his talent. Um, I don't know. This this may I have insecurity issues, but like you want to be him to wear the flesh. Yeah, the flesh be a portal <laughs> new worlds. <laughs> But I'm trying to, think of, roles, I'm trying to yeah. think of his name. I'm with you all the way, Eric. Uh, yeah. Brock Toon. <laughs> Brock Toon. <laughs> Brock Toon. We're talking Brock Toon here? Brock Toon. I mean, does uh, the man bob his head like a bobblehead and stare at the floor every time like he does a scene in a movie? Yes. But I enjoy sure. that. I like when he does that. Yeah. Uh, was Leatherheads with John Krasinski trash? Sure it was. Yeah. He's got a Monuments Men. Steaming turd. Yeah. There's steaming turds. I like the Ides of March. I like when he does films like that. But his heartbreak, his heartbreak that is given to him in Up in the Air, when he finds out the uh, harsh truth that so the woman good. he's into is a whole other life. He, that, is a, that was I love Up in the Air. It's such an honest film it. that came out, came out during the time when the, the recession, whatever we're calling it, the Great Recession hit us in 09. Everybody was getting yeah. laid off. It was about exactly, it fit the time perfectly. People getting laid off. His job is to fire people with a smile on his face. Yeah. And all of the brief cameos with J.K. Simmons, Zach Galifianakis, it's great. And he does a really good job of trying to be this guy who thinks he knows everything, but then he ends up not knowing shit. And this Chad guy, this Chad character, whoever the <laughs> fuck this guy is. My advice to <laughs> hey, Chad... Wait, wait, hang on. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to say, because I'm, I don't know this guy personally, but... <laughs> Perhaps he enjoys the movie Oh Brother We're Out Thou. Perhaps he likes that movie. All right, you're, you're going to say, Eric. That's a great point. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would suggest that this gentleman who emailed this show uh, take a good look at the universally praised and Oscar winning performance in Syriana, the universal critical acclaimed and Oscar nam- nominated performances in both Up in the Air and Michael Clayton. And get back to us with, with uh, maybe a more reasonable question to make some sense. Because <laughs> this is one of our most precious actors working today. He's got the charm of Cary Grant and the looks of a Greek god. The comedic <laughs> chops of, you know, Buster Keaton and Stan Laurel. He has it all. I wish I was him. Don't, don't, don't we all? <laughs> I just 
by Chad by uh, asking this question, and I thank you by the way. Thank you for asking this email. It's a yeah, great yeah, question. You, it really is, is kind it, of oh. curious. I want to say that you just made me realize that George Clooney's probably played two of my favorite roles ever with Ryan Bingham and Jack Foley, and I just I just didn't really have that reality in my mind till we could put it together right now. Those are Jack Foley in Out of Sight is such a a smooth guy, but an idiot, but he's also very handsome and he, he doesn't play it like a cocky guy at all. It's very well done. And when he's in the hands of a great director like Soderbergh, he has a great relationship with Soderbergh. We didn't even yeah. mention, I mean, the whole Ocean's Eleven series. Maybe you don't love those films, but they're really well done and he does a rock solid job in those films. Solaris was good too. I actually never I saw Solaris. To, yeah, I happen to know that this individual doesn't like the Oceans films and maybe those mm. kind of cemented in Chad's brain that this is kind of all the guy has to offer. But, you know, I know he loves Old Brother We're Out Thou too. So I'd encourage yeah. him to get out of this, this rut and this disillusion. Tell me you're not taking this seriously. That's why we brought the entire company in from the road because we're not taking this seriously. There is a methodology to what I do. There's a reason why it works. Coke and IBM have been doing this for years, all right? You familiar with them? And just like anything else, you know, it's going to take a few months of sort of transition and then everybody's going to settle in. Who are you taking off the road? How are you not getting this? You're grounded. Everybody's grounded. It's done. What we do here is brutal. And it does leave people devastated, but there is a dignity to the way I do it. By stabbing him in the chest instead of the back, is that right? You wanted to see me? Well, um, yeah, you know what? Yeah, come on in. Come on in here. Great job. Thank you. How's everyone taking it? Great. Listen, uh, I admire your, uh, uh, your zeal, and I think you have some very good ideas, but you know nothing about the realities of my industry. You can set up an iChat, but you don't know how people think. Actually, I minored in psychology. Nice. Okay, kiddo, fire me. Ryan. Well, listen, she's gonna be doing this on a regular basis. Don't you wanna know if she can fire somebody? She's fired Ned. My dog can fire Ned. Fire me. You don't need to do this. No, it's okay. I got this. Mr. Bingham, I regret to inform you that your position at this company is no longer available. Hmm. Who the hell are you? My name is Miss Keener. I'm here today to discuss your future. My future? The only one who could fire me is Craig Gregory. Mr. Gregory hired me to handle this for him. Handle what? Handle me? Mr. Gregory hired me. He's the only one who could fire me. You know what? I'm going to go talk to him. Mr. Bingham. No, no, no. You can't follow me. You're on a computer screen, remember? Ryan. All right, let's try this again. Fire me again. I just did. Actually, you didn't. Fire me. That's enough. I think we get it. Mr. Bingham, yeah. I'm here today to inform you that your position is no longer available. I'm fired? Yes, you're fired. Never say fired. You've been let go. Why? This is a mythical situation. How could I possibly know why? Why doesn't matter. You never know why. It's important not to focus on the why and rather to spend your energy thinking about your future. Well, I'm going to spend my energy on suing you unless you give me a good reason why you're firing Mr. me. Mr. Bingham, the reason's not important. So you're firing me without grounds. Now I really have a lawsuit. I get what you're trying to say, Ryan. Don't take this personally, Mr. Bingham. Personally? This is the most personal situation that you are ever going to enter. So before you try to revolutionize my business, I'd like to know that you actually know my business. Well, thanks for emailing in, Chad. That was a great question. We really had some wonderful thoughts on today's show. There's been a lot learned. And as we close, as always, don't forget, do not forget that you can email us, cinema9pod, that's the numerical nine, at protonmail.com. And hit us up on Instagram when we write reviews. Travis and Eric, me, mm -hmm. we're doing those reviews all week long. 
please give us commentary. Give us feedback. What other movies do you want reviewed? We would love to follow the audience's lead on possible does it hold ups or just quick reviews on Instagram. But of course, gentlemen, what is the focus now? You have quarantine picks for this week. We're in the quarantine, what, two months of this now or a month and a half for at least it's been a while. We've been here in our homes living this life. What have you not watched? What, what else could you still recommend? Travis, what are some quarantine picks? Uh, well, I've watched a lot of movies over the past week, like, really? like I do. Um, I, so I, I want to recommend a few. I got a few I want to touch on. I watched 2017's, or maybe it was 2018's, The Last Movie Star. This is the last movie that Burt Reynolds did. Mm, mm. Uh, did you see it, Eric? No, I kept hearing about it. It is well worth the watch. There is, there's some, some very meta moments. It gets a little away from itself. It's not a perfect movie, but as far as a swan song from an actual movie star goes, wow, you could do much more. I mean, it feels kind of like David Bowie's last album. Like, it just feels like he knew he was on his way out. Um, I'm also going to recommend um, uh, World According to Garp. I revisited that for the first time in a long time, and holy shit, that movie just just pried my heart, heart open. It's just such a beautiful movie. I mean, I, the movie that gave us, I mean, really, it turned us, I mean, it, it gave us Robin Williams, it gave us Glenn Close, it gave us John Lithgow. These are like the, both of their first movies and the first dramatic role from Robin Williams. And it is just such a beautiful and poignant film, really holds up. Um, my favorite movie that I watched that was new that I'd never seen before um, is from this year or last year. It's called Standing Up, Falling Down, which is not a great title, but it stars Ben Schwartz and, and Billy Crystal. And Ben Schwartz is, was way overdue to star in a movie because he is so much fun. And Billy Crystal, it's the best thing that he's done in a long, I mean, it's a role with comedy and tragedy. And it's just, it's just a really good role for him. So if you like Billy Crystal and you, and you want to see a movie that is actually good that he's done, because he's been, you know, not so great for a while, this one, Standing Up, Falling Down, is fantastic. Um, and another thing I watched was A Hidden Life, um, Terrence Malick's Hidden Life. And that was the longest fucking movie I've ever seen. I couldn't wait for it to be over. <laughs> I followed it up with, uh, with the Amazing Spider-Man 1 and Amazing Spider-Man 2 or the Andrew Garfield movies. Both those movies are almost as long and ridiculously better. Um, just night and day better. I don't, like, it, it, was, it was one of those things. Um, Eric, I really thought of you in Bloat because Hidden Life is two hours and 49 minutes long, I think. And if they'd shaved off an hour, if it was an, like almost a two-hour movie, it would have been probably the best movie of the year. It would have been, it would have been a masterpiece. It would have been a beautiful masterpiece. Instead, it was a beautiful bore. And that's my review from uh, from last week. That's how I feel about the Tree of Life. Like the first like forty minutes of that movie, I think are mm -hmm. probably some of the best in cinematic history. And then mm -hmm. uh, once they get into the whole like you know, whatever, you know, you know, the fucking earth like exploding and John Penn walking <laughs> on the beach for like five hours. It yeah. absolutely goes off the rails for me, but. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite um, names for an album is, uh, uh, who is, I can't even think of the, of the band right now. Manchester Orchestra has an album called You Brainstorm, I Brainstorm, but Genius Needs a Good Editor. And uh, I've always stood by that. And I think that Terrence Malick needs a fucking editor. <laughs> Sure. Well, that sounds about right. That is a, probably one of the most uh, poignant calls of the day. Well done, Travis. Uh, Eric, what, what's going on? What are we uh, watching this week? What do you got for us? There's a scene in 1994's Nell 
where <laughs> where Nell starts referring to Liam Neeson as uh, quote Ganya Anja, and Liam Neeson is like a behavioral psychologist and, and like linguist pretty much, and it takes him like six months to figure out that she was saying guardian angel. It's ridiculous and preposterous. So it's <laughs> it's really dumb, insufferable movies like this that make me appreciate just about anything after watching Nell. Um, there's, a, there's a thriller from 1982 called Still of the Night starring Roy Scheider and Meryl Streep that I really enjoyed. I had never heard of it. Um, uh, it's kind of like a Hitchcockian thriller where Roy Scheider plays this psychologist and he gets involved with this woman played, you know, obviously extraordinarily by Meryl Streep. And it's slow, it's boring, but it's so good. Uh, just like, you know, a, uh, a nice quiet thriller from the early 80s should be. So, um, you know, I also had never seen the film Single White Female before. Like, I what? always missed it. I've never seen it, okay? I finally watched it, and, uh, yeah, I didn't really care for it. Uh, it's been, like, <laughs> re- like, like that. those, like, tropes and stuff have been done so many times. This is, like, an example where that just, like, was, like, a comedy to me. So, <laughs> still of the night, really good. <laughs> Ah, well, I've seen that movie. Yeah. It's been a long time, but I do remember Single White Female. Um, Remember Bridget Fonda? I do remember Bridget Fonda. Yeah, I I used to love her. Boy, I really uh, enjoyed her and Jackie Brown. She was so annoying, but she was so good in that role. (laughs) She's a good actor. I don't know know what she's up to these days. What's the deal with... Uh, I thought I would focus on what uh netflix has coming to may because it's may 1st tomorrow and a lot of people have netflix so they can probably watch it if they've already got an account one of them is the heartbreak kid starring ben stiller oh my god it's a forelli brothers movie and it's a remake actually um i never saw the original but this heartbreak kid is rated r it's very vulgar and it's crass and there's nudity so be prepared if you have a family it's not it sounds like, oh, the heartbreak kid. Oh, it sounds like maybe a family film. Definitely not. But uh, it's really dumb. It's stupid, but it makes me laugh. And if you're just looking for something that's going to be, oh, wow, a couple of lame jokes and you're really not looking for much, if you're setting the bar low, the heartbreak kid is perfect. Ben Stiller, <laughs> Michelle Monaghan, Malin Ackerman, and Jerry Stiller, his father, they pop in. Jerry Stiller is just so dumb in that movie. But uh, if you're looking for something with a little more substance, I'm going to recommend Jarhead. 2005's Jarhead is coming. Oh, yeah. And mm. I actually saw this film in the theater. It's a Sam Mendes yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Sam Mendes of the recent 1917. So mm-hmm. Jarhead's, it takes you back in time to a period that we uh, are more and more likely to forget because the Gulf War was so brief and pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it kind of takes you to a time with a lot of accuracy and honesty and shows you what it was like. It, there's some really gross scenes involving toilets that they had to use in the desert. Not the main part of that movie, but it just shows to show you they took the time to kind of give you an honest view of what was, it was like to really not be involved in any combat, but just be a guy out there in the desert sweating mm-hmm. your ass off with oil fields burning. So. Those Jarhead sequels. You like those Jarhead sequels? There's like five or six of them, right? <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mention that because they're also coming to Netflix, and I didn't want to. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why? What? Jarhead 2. It's, it's so weird that there's a Jarhead 2, let alone a Jarhead like, 3. Like, it's like Kramer versus Kramer 2. 
Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the second one came out nine years later, and then the third one came out two years after that. Both straight to video. Jarhead two, feel the fire. Jarhead three, the siege. <laughs> Cole Cole Hauser's in the sequel. Cole Hauser's the lead role. Ah, uh, come on, Cole, you're better than yeah. that. Yeah, Bokeem Woodbine and Cole Hauser. Bokeem Woodbine was he was great in Freeway. He was great in Dead Presidents. Oh, I really like Bokeem Woodbine. Uh, season two of Fargo. I thought he was going to get a Golden Globe for that. He was so good in season two of Fargo. Have not seen the show, only the film. Okay. Or was it three? Whatever season he was on. Great job. Sorry, you had more recommendations. Do you have more recommendations? Was that no, it? that's it. We've done it. I think we've completed our mission. We've gone a little a long today, but we, we talked about stuff. We did a podcast. As far as the movie next week, do we want to just table this? We, could, we, could, we don't oh. have to make a decision at this moment, but... We well, could I'm also post say, it on. We could post it on our Instagram so people. I'm ready to say out of sight right now, or Donnie Darko, but we can we can talk about it. Oh yeah 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 yeah, Donnie yeah, Darko. I'm Donnie totally Darko. down with that. I'm totally Donnie Darko. down with that. All right, Donnie I would Darko. like to put out of sight, out of sight on the list for the next couple. Uh, hopefully. Yeah yeah, we can do it. Let's do that after that. So Donnie, Donnie Darko out of sight. Let's do that. Yeah, Donnie Darko. Great, Donnie Darko. I agree. So next week, tune in as we dissect 2001's Donnie Darko. Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone, yeah, she's legit. You want to dive into it right now? Here we go. Let's do it. We're out of here. Stop listening to this podcast. Yeah, it's possible that a lot of people did not make it to the end. Well, thank you for listening. It's a Cinema Nine podcast. We went off the rails, but we had a good time. This may be edited for content. As always, I'm Mike Govier, Travis Roy, Eric Brancham did phenomenal jobs. These guys know Wonder Boys. If you want to talk more Wonder Boys, hit us up on Instagram, Cinema9Pod. Email us, Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com or on Twitter, Cinema9Pod. Thanks to our emailers. Thanks to everybody. We're out of here. Stay off my dope, James. <laughs> <laughs>